we deserve to have safe spaces. We deserve to have community and we deserve to have a place where we can be our authentic selves and come into our authentic selves. And if we don't have the bars, we don't have that. Lesbians and queer people used to gather in upwards of 200 lesbian bars across the U.S. during the 80s. Today, only 24 of those bars remain. I went to college in Wisconsin, and there weren't a lot of gay bars or places that queer people came together. But when there were, it was it never really was a space for queer women to actually meet other queer women for just friendship purposes or for dating and just like exploring the community but here in new york city now that i'm i'm experiencing actually lesbian bars and gay bars that cater to all identities and i kind of are femme centered i think it really has shown me that it's important to have a space that you feel welcome to actually express your sexuality and not just a safe space where you can be around you know men that aren't going to be, they're not going to be creepy. Avery is 23, queer, and living in New York, a city with thousands of bars, many of which are gay. But the number of lesbian bars? Just three. It doesn't add up. The queer population is growing, the culture is thriving, and acceptance is on the rise. So where did all these bars go? I'm your host, Aviva Costo, with WTJU 91.1 FM's Podcast Collective. In this week's episode of The Queer Times, come along to meet the filmmaker who's seeking those answers and working to preserve the remaining lesbian bars in the country. We put our skill sets together and created the Lesbian Bar Project as a way to alert ourselves and our community members, hey, that this is a problem, and to also champion and tell the stories of the people behind the bars. That's Erica Rose, filmmaker and co-director of The Lesbian Bar Project. In 2020, she and fellow queer filmmaker Alina Street began working on what would become a nationwide campaign and an acclaimed documentary series. We got Jägermeister to be our brand sponsor, And we also did an impact campaign because even though that we wanted to tell, spread the message and tell the stories of the bars, you know, it was in the height of the worst parts of the pandemic and these spaces needed financial support first and foremost. So we wanted to use the publicity we were garnering as a tool for getting some relief to these bars. Over the past two and a half years, the project has raised almost $300,000. It gained nationwide attention, first with a short film and then with a docu-series that came out at the end of 2022. People clearly care about this, so why are so many of these spaces closing down? Well, there's a couple reasons. Women make less than men, and queer women make less than heterosexual women, and queer women of color make less than, you know, the list goes on. I think that If you have less disposable income, you are generally not going to spend your money on going out. A lot of queer women are also parents. So if they do have disposable income or any sort of extra income that would go to parenting. Wage gap discrimination is simply more profound in these communities. Lesbian bars cater to people who have multiple marginalized identities. 
There's the gender pay gap. Then add on the LGBTQ plus pay gap. Then add on the racial pay gap. Combining all those is going to create an immense disparity in income. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. I think that it's also just the discrimination women business owners face in terms of getting financiers, getting investors, uh, negotiating with a landlord, getting a liquor license, getting a loan from a bank. There's kind of an uphill battle, especially depending on where you are geographically in the country. On top of wage and gender discrimination, lesbian bar owners are fighting one more powerful force, gentrification. Rent prices are skyrocketing, forcing bar owners to close down and turning away new bar prospects. Something that has been acutely problematic for not just lesbian bars or queer bars, um, for any business that is owned or supported by a marginalized community is gentrification. That's been a huge problem and gentrification has been even more on the rise as of late. I think that the 2008 crash definitely had a huge impact on a lot of these spaces. It was declining um, to the point where when we started the project and when a lot of people kind of started to take notice and the pandemic really kind of reshifted focus, I think a lot of people decided to take action and wanting to open new spaces and go back to the bars. Getting back to bars isn't as easy as it sounds, but the Lesbian Bar Project is giving much-needed visibility to the community. Moving forward, the campaign will solely focus on filmmaking to tell the stories of the people behind these establishments. Rose and her colleagues hope to mobilize support for keeping the bars around. I mean, my message would be, you know, make your voice heard. I think that Part of our inspiration for this project was to make our voices heard and to transcend the narrative of loss and disappearance and really focus on resilience in the power of community. I think that when we show up for our bars, we ensure their survival. The survival of these bars is the survival of queer history. It's the preservation of an invaluable part of the community, spaces where not just lesbians, but trans and non-binary folks can come together. Initiatives like the Lesbian Bar Project are doing the important work of supporting that. To learn more, head to www.thelesbianbarproject.com. Support for this episode comes from WTJU, Nathan Moore, and the lovely members of Music 2559. Thanks for listening.